This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're in the final quarter of... The Inside Black and Gold podcast gearing up for Sunday's matchup against the Dirty Birds. And Jeff and I are going to talk about now not just beating the Falcons. He wants to dominate this team. Yes. And I think you're, you're mixing up your, your – you, you got like a mixed sports thing going on because it's more like a hockey thing. This is the third, the third period. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, we're in the third period. But it, I think quartered us. We're in the final – I don't know. Yeah, the we're going to have to come up with a better way to describe it than quarters because these right. are three. So Once anyway. I was saying final quarter, I realized that's incorrect, but I had to roll with it. Yeah, you did a good job. You're a professional. I wasn't. <laughs> um, anyway, so yes, we are going to go through the three, the three keys that I think the Saints need to focus on and do well in order to just flat out dominate the Falcons, make them wish they had never even bothered to show up, make them consider putting Desmond Ritter in the game in week one. I think that will be something they consider throughout the throughout the week because Marcus Mariota, it's not that good. Did okay. you see the Falcons head coach kind of flipped out on the local media there about asking about Desmond Ritter? Did he? Arthur yeah, Smith? He's like, yeah, he's like, I'm not not doing any hypotheticals. He said that that famous line, and he's like, you know, M- M- Mariota is our starter. Yeah. Until he's we'll not. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> okay. And on to that, key number one. Shut down the run. Now, I went through, I, I, I punished myself yesterday, and I decided to go back through a handful of the first six games from the Titans in the 2019 season. And the reason I did that is we don't have a ton of tape on Marcus Mariota and how you should expect him to be used with the Falcons. But... If you go back to 2019 and you watch some Titans games, there's this guy named Arthur Smith in his first year as the offensive coordinator for the Titans. There's this kid named Marcus Mariota starting at quarterback. That's the head coach quarterback tandem out in Atlanta right now. And 
while the offense isn't going to be a carbon copy of what you saw in Tennessee, I do think you're going to see a lot of the same tendencies that you saw there. One of those things is they run play action a lot. Like not just a, not just a high percentage. I mean, this is like, you know, you, you ever see a kid who like puts ketchup on everything and you're like, that's gross. What are you doing? That's the, that's, that's how Arthur Smith uses play action. When I, the, the second game of the season against the Colts, they ran play action on like eight of their first 10 pass plays and they ran the ball like six times. So like you're seeing a play fake repeatedly over and over and over again. And the interesting thing about it is when you use it that way, it almost works the opposite of how a play fake typically would, where you're running a play action because you're trying to suck up the defense into thinking it's a run, and then you're throwing it over the top. You're creating space behind the linebackers, and you can you can make some, make some hay there. But when you run it every time, it, it almost has this effect of desensitizing the linebackers where – they were like, oh, they're doing it again. I'm not going to even bother kind of coming up and like considering that this might be a run because they run, they run play action on almost every play. And so that actually makes it easier on the running back because when you do hand it off and, this Falcon, and, the, and the Titans did a lot of zone read action, I expect we'll see a lot of that from uh, the Falcons this weekend. You know, when you do hand it off and the linebackers are a step slow, that means you actually create some extra space. And for a team that doesn't run the ball that well. You know, Cordero Patterson is a solid running back, but he's not even really a running back. He's a wide receiver. And I think Tyler Allgaier is another guy we're going to see. You know, if you can shut down the run and, and make that not even a viable thing where you have to even consider it and you can just run blitz and go straight at Mariota, um, I think that's going to go a long way. And I actually I asked Dennis Allen about this on the conference call today, and uh, here's what he said. Dia, when you try to prepare for you know a heavy play action team, you know what are some of the keys? What are some of the important things that you have to look for, and you have to kind of train for in those in those matchups? You know, the first thing is 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 you know you have to you know make the run game ineffective, and and therefore the play action is not as effective. And so, you know, we're we're going to have to do a good job, you know, of being able to. to you know, stop the run and, and, and try to make them get into a one-dimensional type of game. And um, But that's certainly, uh, you know, the challenge that you face when teams are able to run the ball and they're a play-action team. Uh, it makes it more difficult if they're able to run it effectively. But, yeah, that is a very boring and obvious answer, but an important one. If you can stop the run against the Falcons, you are not only going to limit what they can do on the ground, you are going to limit what they can do in the passing game. And if you can do both of those things effectively, you can dominate a team. Yeah, and it's actually pretty impressive. I'm I'm really surprised on what Corderell Patterson was able to do last year on that team. But I guess they really had no other real options other than Kyle Pitts. It was kind of like his his career was revitalized in Atlanta, which is kind of funny to say, considering how the, how terrible that offense was. Yeah. And, you know, when I say I, I really don't like watching Marcus Mariota play, this is a guy who is mobile. Yeah. This is a guy who like should be able to use his feet. But when he gets pressure, he does he he actually reminds me a lot of Taysom Hill in that you know, one of the ways Taysom drives me insane, he's this incredible athlete, but you only see the athleticism when he pulls the ball down and runs. You never see him using his athleticism to extend a play to like escape the pocket and throw it. 
it's always, okay, I'm either just kind of standing still in the pocket or sprinting downfield. And that's what you see from Mariota here. It's a very similar like approach where it's like, this is a, this pressure here, but it's not a terrible pocket. You should be able to step up, but he can't. He just kind of like flings the ball down the field and it's just awful. And like, that's, you know, you don't have a job a lot of the time. And I think that's a big part of the reason why. So if you can, if you can pressure him and, and also take away the, the play fakes, um, there's one other play that I'll show here that I, that I found in this, this long, this long uh, watch that one thing that the Titans like to do under Arthur Smith that I think we're going to see is they do this hard play fake into a screen. And when you have Derrick Henry, it obviously works a little better, but it's this really weird, like play fake where then he flips around and just throws this long screen over to Derrick Henry. And I, a, a man-to-man team like the saints could get beat here. It's almost, it's very similar to the play that the, the saints ran that actually inadvertently ended up in Alvin Kamara's hands against the Packers, where you're just creating traffic in the middle of the field and you're sending the receivers to the opposite side and all of the coverage is running with them. If you're in man coverage, one of the disadvantages is you're turning your back and running. And so you're not able to see what's happening behind you. So if you can dump in a screen behind them, you can make a big play. And especially if you have a really athletic running back who gets a full head of steam and you're not stopping them, then it can work. And the the Falcons or the Titans did this three times in the first two games against this was the Browns and against the Colts. And I think this is a play that if I'm the Saints, I'm on alert for it because this is a play that can burn you if you have, you know, Marshawn Lattimore on that side and he's up going downfield with his back turned. All of a sudden, Cordero Patterson has the ball mm. in the flat and he's sprinting down the sideline. It can be a big play. And uh, so that's that's one of the plays that I did that like I'm on. I'm looking for it because first first game of the year, you've been running all these all these drills. You've been running all these plays. You've been installing all this stuff. And uh, I think you're going to break that one out of from the Falcons. So. That's uh, you, you gotta be aware of the play action. You gotta be, you gotta stay at home and then you have to be on alert for screens, both to the tight end and the running back, because they ran a lot to Delaney Walker back with the Titans as well. Very good tight end who probably doesn't get talked about enough. Really good for a long time. And now, now this is a team with Kyle Pitts, so they're not going to use the tight end less. So that's, that's something I'm looking for. I'm curious to see if uh, Cam Jordan will have the same success uh, against Mariota that he did against Cam Jordan, uh, against uh, Matt Ryan, who was like his best buddy that got sent away now to Indianapolis and uh, heard him on CBS Sports talking about how he's sad. He he miss, he's going to miss him, and he just wants to give Mariota a hug now. Yeah, and Arthur Smith also said that he was he was kind of hoping that Cam would go into broadcasting with the, with Sean, but uh, that didn't yeah, happen. So. <laughs> Soon enough, Cam will definitely – Cam definitely seems like a guy prime for some kind of broadcasting gig. And he's basically already in broadcasting now. So it's just just a matter of when he stops, when he makes that his full-time job. <laughs> yeah, he can just, that, that his personality and the way he's able to just relate to, I feel like everybody is, just makes him a, a great personality. No doubt. Okay, let's move on to key number two. Avoid turnovers. Now this is obvious, but it also needs to happen. You know, if you if you look at how the Saints found ways to win games down the stretch last season, they did virtually nothing on offense. Taysom Hill's entire MO, his modus operandi was don't turn the ball over. Put the defense in good positions. Take chances where it makes sense 
and it does not make sense in a lot of in- situations, run the ball, get a few first downs. Maybe we can kick a field goal. It worked to a perfection against the Bucks. It worked against the Panthers. It worked against the Jets. And it's just, you know, when you can do that, when you have a really good defense and you can just not turn the ball over on offense and not give this team who shouldn't have a chance to stay with you, not, you know, false hope, you know, and let them hang around, then you can win a game going away. And that's what I haven't seen the Saints do enough in the last few years is just stop toying with teams, right? Don't let the Giants hang around. You're up 10 points. Make it 17. Make it three scores. Make it so that fourth quarter is boring. I want to watch boring fourth quarters if I am the Saints because this is a team that should be dominant on the defensive side of the ball, and they should be able to put up enough points that you can win comfortably. Not every game has to be this, oh, no, what if – what if Nick Foles leads a game-winning drive? You know, what if we can't tackle Saquon Barkley right now? You know, that's these are situations that you should be able to avoid, and they have found themselves on the wrong side of it too often because turnovers come up in, in inopportune situations, and you don't take advantage of the teams that you should beat. You know, and and this is a long season. If you can find ways to to get rest because, you know, you're beating a team by 40 points, who you should beat. Maybe 40 is an exaggeration. I just think the Falcons are that bad. You know, that, that's what you need to do is, is keep the ball, take the ball away from them and be smart, not turn it over on your side. And when you're talking about Jameis Winston, you always have to consider the turnover liability that he presents. And if he can continue to show that that's not a, a, something that's going to bug him, it's going to go a long way. And especially this week in terms of just making this a laugher. How come when uh, every time anyone talks about Jameis, obviously the 30-30 season gets brought up, but last year's numbers kind of get tossed aside. And obviously he, he was impressive when healthy in the seven games with the 14 touchdowns, three picks. You could tell that he was more selective in his throws, except for that one at least touchdown to, what was it, Marquez Callaway that he, call, he, he told Sean Payton, oh, God, that was the God's plan play. It was, it was God's plan. Well, he, you know, I, I don't throw them aside. I think he was good last year, and he needs to continue that, right? He needs to prove that that wasn't an outlier right. and that that is how he can continue to operate. Now, I also think that to an extent, I want to see him be a little more aggressive, right? I don't, I, I'm okay with, you know, if you're th- putting up a 50-50 ball to a receiver and you're giving him a chance and it gets tipped and it goes for an interception, there's nothing you can do about that. You are making the right play and, you know, sometimes you just have bad luck. I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is if you go back to that Panthers game, there were a couple throws in that game that were just like, why? There was a, at the end, the, at the end of the first half, he was like falling to the ground. And he just lobbed a ball down the middle of the field. You were on the edge of field goal range. You probably weren't with the kickers they had last year, but you were on the edge of field goal range. If it was Will Lutz, you might have a chance. And throwing an interception there is just eliminating any opportunity you have for, you know, Will Lutz kicked a 59 yarder this year. You know, you know, he has that leg turning the ball over there because you just wanted to take a chance when you shouldn't have was a bad decision, right? He didn't do that a lot. That was not something that you left a lot of games saying, wow, he got lucky here. But, you know, you don't throw 30 interceptions by accident. And 
I think that it's always going to be something that you have to continue to train yourself to just not take unnecessary risks. And that's what you're going to have to see this year. Yeah, I think that obviously that season always gets brought up with Winston and it's always the negative that gets brought up, which is a little annoying. And everyone disregards the 5,000 passing yards and also tossing the 33 touchdowns. But well, I okay, get it. Okay, here's the thing. If, you, if, if I'm supposed to ignore the 30 interceptions as an aberration, then I should also be able to ignore the 5,000 yards as an aberration because you don't throw for 5,000 yards unless you're losing in a lot of games when you're, because this was not a good team. You know, this was not a team that won a lot of games. <laughs> so, like, if you're throwing 5,000 yards and going 11 and 5, then fine. If you're missing the playoffs, it's it's not the same thing. It, it uh, You know, it's great that he threw for all those yards, but I, I'm not going to hold the 30 interceptions against him, but I'm also not going to pretend that that was some spectacular season because he threw for 5,000 yards. Well, Tom Brady did come in the next year and win a Super Bowl with that team. Yeah. <laughs> But the 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 rebuttal is, you know, who was he throwing to? <laughs> I think I think the four touchdowns that he threw in the Super Bowl were to players that were not on the team when James Winston was on it. Good so point there. Yeah. I think it, I think it, that it is a dirty blanket. There's there's a lot of a lot of disingenuous arguments to make Jameis look worse than he is, and I think that's one of them because that was a very different team than the one Jameis was on. But anyway, you know, I digress. There, we don't have to get too far into that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. D Granger here. Come on, man. Let's not get cocky. The Saints don't live up to these so-called easy games. Right. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's that's why I'm saying these are the keys in order for the Saints to not have another just obnoxious loss to a team they should beat. I do think it's going to be a close game, though. I, I would not take the five and a half points and the Saints. I'm more comfortable betting the under in the game than I am putting money on the Saints to win. Although I obviously think they are going to win the game. But I still think it's going to be like that field goal type of game just because it is an NFC South opponent, and we've seen it way too many times. Yeah, five and a half is a lot. You know, there's a lot of ways that a game can end within five and a half points and honestly not be that close, right? That's right. why it's that's why I have a hard time with those spreads because, you know, you could be winning by, uh, you know, 17 points, and then a team – Cuts it to cuts it to ten with like two minutes left. Gets the ball back and scores with like three seconds left and fails at an onside kick. The game was never that close, but you don't cover the spread, and that's why sports gambling is is uh, heartburn inducing because that happens all the time. Um, the three and a half points for LSU. Uh, you know, I I made the mistake. So someone texted me and said, "Hey, should I take LSU minus three and a half?" And me, in my infinite wisdom, didn't say. I don't know enough about college football. I shouldn't be giving you betting advice. And I said, yeah, you should totally bet LSU uh, three minus three and a half. They and, love you now. 
Well, and my and my my rebuttal afterward was <laughs> I'm not giving you a refund because if they make that extra point, I'm pretty sure they cover because that really felt like a situation where Texas A&M would have been reeling and LSU had a really good chance of either winning by seven or winning by four. And, you know, that's where that's where sports gambling is obnoxious because you'll never know. You'll never know because that was a really close to being a insane bad beat on the Texas. A- I'm sorry, on the Florida State side. I might have said Texas A&M, uh, and instead, you know, you just never got to see what happened. So sports gambling is the worst, and uh, that we, I think we can leave it there. Yeah, I I just don't have enough money to gamble. I, I everyone thinks that's funny that you know I cover sports. I'm involved in sports 24 seven, but I have what they call scared money because. I don't have much of it. <laughs> yeah. I bet, you know, it's funny. I gambled a lot more when it was illegal than I do now. I don't know why. Maybe it was just the excitement of it. I was like, oh, I can get paid out in Bitcoin. Great. Bad boy. Um, <laughs> now it's like, I have all these apps and they're all telling me to do parlays and stuff. And it's like, it's it's weird to know that I'm getting taken advantage of willingly. When before it was like, you know, at least it's this like, you know, clandestine operation off the coast of like, you know, Kamchatka. And uh, yeah, anyway, it's strange. It's so so easy now too, obviously. It's just everyone, it's on your phone. Although, you know, I was out at Caesars um, last Friday. They unveiled the new sports book. That, that I, I, you know, I am not getting paid by Caesars to say this. I highly recommend going there and watching a Saints game because they have a 145 foot screen. Ooh. You can put it can be like a hundred different screens or it can be two gigantic screens. And it's like, you know, it's like, you know how a moth just stares at like a bug zapper? Like that's how I felt. I was just like enthralled. And you know, if you're if you're someone who likes to gamble, you like to do live odds, like that would be a really cool way to do it. I'm never gonna get to go for a Saints game because I'm working, obviously. Although, you know, that would be great if I if they're not gonna fly me out to Atlanta. Maybe I'll go cover the game live from season, from Harrah's and uh, get free drinks. <laughs> yeah. And then, Wouldn't be the worst know, way to do it. Yeah, that's not a bad idea at all. I mean, uh, it, I'm, I'm still waiting to see, like, if the Superdome eventually gets a sports book in there since they are the Caesar Superdome now um, and, and waiting for also slot machines in the, in the you know, in the concession area. Yeah. You know, it's a, I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch Harris. He's like, "Hey, pay me to come out there, and I'll do uh, inside black and gold live. Uh, give me drinks, and we'll uh, talk about the sports book." They'd be like, be "You just pitch. trash sports gambling. Why would we? Why would we bring you in?" Everyone trashes sports gambling. That's part of the deal. Anyway, okay, we have one more key. We have one more key, and this is even more obvious than the last one. Just show up. Just show up. Just just show up, like. If you go back, there's a common thread between the the losses to the Falcons in the last several years. Um, And it is that in the first half of these games, the Saints have just been laughably ineffective. Last year, the first half, week nine, that loss to the Falcons that they should have won. They they took a lead in the last two, the last, what, 50 seconds, and they blew it. They were shut out in the first half. They scored 22 points in the fourth quarter to come back and take a lead. 
2019, week 10, that crazy game, the day after LSU beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa, I will go to my deathbed saying that that had an impact because these guys were up late partying. Um, even though there was no LSU players on the team, there's probably more Alabama players involved. Anyway, six points in the first half, and they and they and they lose that game. I think 22 to nine. You know, come out strong in the in the last four wins. Last year, week 18, 24 points in the first half. Week 11 of 2020, 10 points in the first half. Week 13 of 2020, 14 points in the first half. Week 14 of 2019, 17 points in the first half. Come out with a purpose. Don't let this team hang around. They're not good enough to just to just kind of waltz in there and, and expect to put up seven points in the first half and and not get pushed. Um, I don't know. It, it's it drives me nuts when I see a team that that is this talented just go into go into games and just just putter around for the first like five drives and then it's like oh yeah we're good let's win now you know I hate it I hate it again I want to see boring fourth quarters in order to have a boring fourth quarter you need to have an exciting first half that's my I, I final think, key I, I think the tough part is though too with the Falcons obviously this is everything to them is beating the Saints uh, if if not you know the, their goal of making the Super Bowl like most other teams in the NFL, we can kind of see that this team is kind of in a rebuild and tank for next season. But even if they are in tank mode, it's still the new Orleans saints that they'd love nothing more than to notch the win again. So they don't have to hear saints fans constantly battering them. Well, right. And and no team is tanking in week one, right? Like no, like uh, even if you've, you've built a roster that you think is probably going to get you a top 10 pick, you never know. I mean, like there's a chance you just, you catch lightning in a bottle and you just start really well. And all of a sudden you were making trades at the deadline because you're trying to improve this team and the, but you can demoralize that team quickly. Yeah. Right. The, the best advice I ran cross country in high school. And the best advice my dad ever gave me was if you're in a close race with somebody and they're like, you know, maybe 50 yards behind you, you get to a sharp turn. The second you get around that turn, sprint because by the time they get around that turn, they're going to think you're only going to be the same distance ahead, but then you're like way farther ahead. And they're like, what the heck happened? Like, that's what you want to do in these games. You want to just get out to, to a lead that they're just like, well, we're not getting there. And then they're not happy. Then they don't have the motivation, right? That's how you win games easily. It's what the Patriots used to do to the AFC East every year. And I think that the NFC South this year is very similar to what the AFC East was in with a lot of those Tom Brady Patriots teams that just sleepwalked to 13 and three and won the division. They were able to rest everyone down the stretch. And that's what I want. You know, I think if this team has a chance to make it to a Super Bowl, you know, which is unlikely, I think, but there, if you're making the playoffs, you have a chance. And I think for this team to get there, I think they need to be able to rest players down the stretch. And in order to do that, you have to win the games you're supposed to win, and and you want to win the games you're supposed to win handily. So that's why I just spent the last 20 minutes plus explaining these are the three keys that I think the Saints need to do to win this game going away that is stop the run, that is avoid turnovers, and that is get out to a fast start. Yeah, and uh, obviously Peter King believes that this team can go out and jump on these teams early and and – you know, put them away because he had them as the top seed in the NFC, which was really surprising. 
He did at 12 and five again, which, you know, if, if there's no team better than 12 and five, sure. It's, you know, I, I have a hard time seeing this team get to 13 and four, but you know, it, in order to get there, you have to start well, right? You're no, no team go starts two and five and then finishes 12 and five. Right. 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 <laughs> so you need to start well. And if you can start well and win these games easily, then you can start talking about, you know, realistic op- opportunities to get a high seed and to go deep in the playoffs. But if you can't come out and just show the Falcons exactly where they stand in this division, then I'm not buying it. And that's I'm, it. I'm that's the end for me. That's that's all I have. That's that's the end of my rent. The 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 way the defense we're all expecting to perform for the Saints, along with all these new weapons on offense. Hopefully we don't see a, a suspension for a guy like Alvin Kamara. I still want to see the development of Taysom Hill at tight end. I just, to me, this offense has that ability to be able to, to complement this dominating defense as well and able to put up the points. It's just, there's just a lot of questions that, that have to be answered still, obviously. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of inside black and gold, Steve Geller, along with Jeff Nowak and getting ready for game day Saints fans. And I know everybody's just as pumped up as us to see what this team can do against those dirty birds. Remember to give us a like on YouTube and also download our podcast on any platform that you care to. We're available everywhere, even the Odyssey app now, which is wonderful. And hoping that we have a happy post-game wrap-up as well after uh, now that we're in the regular season mode, we'll be talking about what we saw on the field and the aftermath afterwards. Yeah, well, let's figure out a time for that. But yeah, we should have a pod posting early Monday morning as kind of a recap catch up after the Falcons game. Also, tune in for first take, which for a noon start, I think we'll start right. at eight, eight a.m. Woo! Yikes! Plenty. Well, of for you it'll be you for you to be nine. Correct. Because this is a one, so in Atlanta it's a one p.m. start, which would mean the nine a.m. first take. I'll but. I'll still be heading to the stadium though, like probably like six a.m. with our engineer Robert Carroll, because he's got to set up everything and and I roll with him. <laughs> that sounds miserable. Anyway, yeah, uh, that's what coffee's for. Tune in for that eight a.m. over on WWL AM eight seventy FM one zero five three in the Odyssey app. We always have a good time, and we're gonna do a lot more of this. So thanks, y'all, and whew, we got football coming up. Let's do it.